because how we truly and, and really encourage one another and comfort one another is to ultimately point them to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, and Jesus, who is a very present help in times of trouble. No doubt, I'll say it again, that uh, if you think about the most special and profound times in your life, the birth of children, for example, or coming back to Bahrain after a four-year gap, uh, if you think about the most special, I'm setting this up for to be like the best trip of your life, uh, the, 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 the most special and profound times of your life, uh, the the highest of highs that we experience and the lowest of lows, what's going to be the common denominator there uh, is other people. People are so important to the, these really emotionally charged moments that we uh, have in our lives. You, know, you think about weddings, funerals, birthdays, uh, births, graduations, uh, celebrating new jobs, moving on from jobs. Those intense emotions that we have wired and, uh, and made to feel uh, come to the fore at those times and I fully believe that it's, it's, it's always because of a person. It's because we're wired and we're made. God's design for us is so relational. Uh, we read in Genesis, it's not good for us to be alone. We're not made to be alone. And we're made in his image. God's emotional. Uh, we, read, we read many emotions uh, that God feels throughout Scripture. And as we continue through this next part of 2 Corinthians today, uh, this is just what we'll see both here and now for the Corinthians, uh, here and now for us, and uh, bigger picture forever and into eternity as well, that it is always a person. It's, we're so relational, life is so personal, that the encouragement, the emotions that we feel, uh, it's always a person that brings those out in us. Uh, speaking of people, before we forget, uh, we're really happy that Johannes from the Logos Hope has joined us this morning. And uh, after the message, as we move back into a time of worship, the kids are going to join us. Uh, and he is going to talk to us for a few minutes about uh, a wonderful opportunity for us, uh, Lord willing, next month. Uh, and again, we're talking about people he could have sent as a PowerPoint that we could have shown. But it's so much nicer when a person comes to talk about people stuff. Anyway, so... 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're turning a corner a little bit. The tone is changing a little bit. It's less confrontational. There's less Paul kind of defending himself and his ministry. And it, it's beginning to feel much more positive. So we'll read again together uh, verses 4 to 7 of 2 Corinthians 7. And we're going to see now the confidence that Paul has in the Corinthians and their character. Uh, and as we read through, just Think about how different this is to some other stuff that he's been saying recently. So in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4, we read, I have great confidence in you. I take great pride on your behalf. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in the midst of all our suffering. For even when we came into Macedonia, our body had no rest at all, but we were troubled in every way. Struggles from the outside, fears from within. But God, who encourages the downhearted, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. We were encouraged not only by his arrival, but by, also by the encouragement you gave him. As he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, your deep concern for me, so that I rejoiced more than ever. How different is that to all the stuff we've talked about since January? 
the tone is so different. We've had weeks and weeks, passage after passage of this letter, where it feels like there's tension, there is conflict between Paul and the Corinthians. He's working so hard to kind of rewire some of their faulty thinking. And now, he says, I have great confidence in you, I take pride in your behalf, I'm filled with encouragement, I'm overflowing with joy in the midst of suffering. So, in ev- so even though things were really difficult for Paul, we read physically, you know, when we got to Macedonia, we were just exhausted. Uh, mentally as well, the struggles from within. Um, even though things are really difficult for him, he still finds joy in those people that are causing him problems. And I don't know about you, but that is, that is difficult. To find joy with people that are actively making your life difficult is, uh, is certainly a Holy Spirit powered thing in our life. It does not come naturally to us, does it? Oh, thank you. Does it? We don't find joy in the presence of people that make our lives difficult. And yet Paul is saying, even though things are really difficult, when we came to Macedonia, we were exhausted, we were troubled in every way. Life's difficult for us physically, fears from within. It seems that he is really concerned for Titus as the uh, messenger, the deliverer of that um, severe letter, that letter we would conclude happened between First and Second Corinthians. Uh, he's, he's worried for Titus, whether he's going to be received well with this awful letter of, of, of conviction. And he's worried for the Corinthians, like, how are they going to take this? Is this going to help them to turn a corner and really see the truth about how they're living? Or are they just going to push back and rebel and just do their own thing? And I read this week that this was just Paul's life in ministry. This, was just, this is just what living a life in ministry is like. It's a life of great blessings, but also many conflicts and fears. On the outside, he was constantly in conflict with enemies of the gospel and worldly-minded Christians. That's a huge oxymoron, isn't it? A worldly-minded Christian. And on the inside, Paul daily battled with stress and anxiety, the stresses and anxieties of ministry. How is this going to be received? Is this going to help people along, or are they going to push back and rebel against it? And so he's got all these stresses. He's very anxious about how Titus is going to be received, how are the Corinthians going to respond to all this. And he says there, but God who encourages the downhearted encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. We're starting to see that it's his encouragement and his comfort. It's through a person. So Titus arrives to Paul and the gang. That's encouraging to Paul. Uh, and and as also as he, Titus, reported how the Corinthians um, received this severe letter. And the news, when Paul saw Titus then, it was good news. And it seems that when they received that difficult letter, again, between what we would call First and Second Corinthians, uh, it seems that, as N.T. Wright wrote, the Corinthians were appalled to think how badly they had treated Paul. And they were now falling over themselves to apologize. And they were doing everything they could to put things right. And so Paul, having been really downcast beyond measure uh, as he waited for this news, uh, as he spent you know, chapters and chapters and passages and passages kind of uh, defending himself and his ministry and just pleading with them to, 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 to change for, for positive change, he's now just over the top in his celebration. He's recounting how things are going. Then Titus arrives, and he is just over the moon with the response. And if we keep reading from verse 8, we're going to see 
some of the specific reasons uh, why Paul was just so enthusiastic and why he was so encouraged. He says, for even if I made you sad by my letter, I don't regret having written it, even though I did regret it, for I see that my letter made you sad, though only for a short time. Now I rejoice, not because you were made sad, but because you were made sad to the point of repentance. For you were made sad as God intended, so that you were not harmed in any way by us. For sadness as intended by God produces a repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But worldly sadness brings about death. For see what, see what this very thing, this sadness as God intended, has produced in you. What eagerness, what defense of yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what logging, what deep concern, what punishment. In everything, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. And so he says, look, even though I, I made you sad with this letter, that severe letter, really convicting them of sin, even though I made you sad, I don't regret writing it, the content, the conviction. I don't regret bringing to the surface and sharing with you your sin, even though I, I, I do regret that it made you sad. And whilst Paul was... Uh, and we should be committed to sharing the truth with one another in love. Sharing it when you know it's going to hurt somebody is really difficult, isn't it? It is. Having conversations with people where you say, look, let's talk about some things that have not been excellent between ourselves. Where you share with people, this is where we can do better. Nobody enjoys those conversations We've, you, don't, you don't enjoy those conversations either, uh, whichever side of it you're on. Whether you, you're sitting down and saying to people, look, brother, sister, we need to talk about X, Y, and Z because it's just, it's not what God wants for you or from you. And nobody enjoys hearing that. Uh, and so he says, look, I, I don't regret the content of the letter. I don't regret the conviction, but I am upset that it made you upset. And again, those, the anxieties that he shared uh, before, those fears from within, he's worried about Titus as the deliverer of this letter because nobody likes to receive bad news. Nobody likes being confronted and convicted. And here's Titus who comes along with this letter that just lays out everything that the Corinthians are doing wrong. And so Paul, as the author, as the, the sender of this letter, is really worried for Titus. How is he going to be received? And for the Corinthians, are they going to take this well? Or is this just going to push them over the edge? Is there going to be this big, beautiful reconciliation and relationship? Or are we now just going to part ways? Because the truth has been aired. But he says, I rejoice now. Not because I made you sad. We don't enjoy making people sad. Uh, he says, but because of what it produced in you. I'm rejoicing because you were confronted and convicted. Uh, it produced in you repentance. Because you were made sad to the point of repentance. Um... And I don't know about you, when we read this word, if, you, if you're kind of new to Christianese and the language of the Bible and things like that, when we hear this word repentance, it sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? It sounds quite uh, oppressive, it's some oppressive religious word where we think about it, we hear it, and, and we think about kind of a severe situation where you must prove uh, through often, we imagine, difficult physical circumstances, you've got to re show your repentance. Uh, and so it's not a word that many of us enjoy. 
the word repentance. But as we read through the New Testament in particular, it is often the first word of the gospel. It's the first word of the good news. In Matthew chapter 3, we read in those days, John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea proclaiming repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, Jesus began to preach. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In Acts chapter 2, the church is in this process of being born like this giant firework exploding in a night sky. Peter jumps up and says, repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word at the start of each message. And what it means is that we need to undergo a change in our thinking, in our, in our frame of mind. We undergo a change in how we feel about certain things and we make a change in our principles and our practice to reform our behavior. We turn away from something And we turn to something else. And so if the Corinthians, here via this letter written by Paul, delivered by Titus, and us now, if we've been shown where we've strayed and how we've strayed, shown where we've sinned, where we've behaved or acted or spoken in ways that contradict who God is, this is the only appropriate response to take it on board and to repent, to turn away from that, to to change how we think and how we feel about what we have done. Not to lash out at other people like the Corinthians have done. Paul has spent paragraph after paragraph laying out for them. This is not the appropriate response to conviction, to lashing out other people, uh, to deflect from your own failings as they're doing and saying, well, Paul... You are not really all that. As if that somehow covers up what they've been doing. They've turned to Paul. We read a few weeks ago when when there's nothing wrong to be found with the work, the ministry, the person. It's going to get artificially uh, personal. Well, Paul, we'll just ignore what you're saying for the moment. You are just not that nice. And it's laughable. But he spent chapter after chapter seeing it. The only appropriate response we read here. You were made sad as God intended so that you were not harmed by any way. For sadness as intended by God produces a repentance that leads to salvation. We turn away from the things that potentially create distance in our relationship with God. And then we leave no regret. But worldly sadness brings about death. So if we don't take it, if we don't take the conviction uh, given, well, if if we don't take the 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 conviction given to us of our sin. If we don't take that and accept it and repent of it, the alternative, as we read, uh, is that we're brought to a point of death, of of spiritual death, where our sin is brought out, laid out before us by somebody who cares enough to do that, and it doesn't really trouble us. We don't repent of it. We don't turn away from it. It, it, We don't change our thinking over it, we just kind of accept it. Maybe we just move on despite it. Maybe ignore it. But as we read, that leads to spiritual death. Because if, if we've got somebody in our life that cares about us enough to say, look, the Scripture says this, but yeah, I'm seeing this in you. And we just ignore that. 
we're putting more and more distance between ourselves and God. And we read in Psalm 32, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. It's unhealthy for us, spiritually and physically, to just ignore the sin in our life. This time around, though, praise God, we see in verse 11 that it produces in the Corinthians this, again, just a tremendous response. See how well you have received this bad news. Look what it's produced in them. Eagerness to avoid it again. Defense of yourselves. Looking, looking at yourself and thinking, how can I avoid this again? Uh, what indignation towards the sin that they're being convicted of. What alarm. What longing. What deep concern and what punishment. They're really taking it on board here, it seems. And it looks like, from what he's writing, that they are now more committed than ever to move forward uh, living a thoroughly Christian life. And so for us, just before we continue, I guess the question that came to my mind this week is, is, is this our reaction to the sin in our lives? When somebody who cares enough about us to, uh, says, look, we need to talk. Is this our reaction to the sin in our lives? Are we humble enough to respond the same way when we're convicted of sin? And this is not something to be afraid of. Like if we admit that we've sinned, that we are sinners, it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something that we work really hard to deflect and to defer onto other people like the Corinthians are doing. We've got nothing to fear by admitting that we have failed. Uh, James quotes Proverbs when he writes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's nothing to fear by admitting that we're fallen, that we're fallible, that we do sin. Scripture tells us where sin increased, grace multiplied all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when we're convicted of sin by somebody who cares about us, as Paul has done for the Corinthians, we take that to the cross. There's nothing to be afraid of when we're convicted. It's not a, a I don't mean you're, you're written off and condemned and lost cause. Let's not be like the Corinthians the first time around when they refused to admit any wrongdoing and instead turned it back to Paul and got really personal and slanderous. Well, Paul, you're not all that. You're not very impressive. We just don't like you very much. And so totally ignoring what he's pointed out in them. And as we keep reading, we see that no doubt Paul knew this, how they've had this huge change in response, he knew that, well, obviously, he knew how they'd responded the first time around. And as we've talked about many, many times since starting this letter in January, he's seen and he's heard of their turn, their repentance. And now Paul offers them, in verses 12 to 16, comfort. He says, So then, even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did wrong or on account of the one who was wronged, but to reveal to you your eagerness on our behalf before God. Therefore, we have been encouraged, and in addition to our own encouragement, we rejoiced even more at the joy of Titus, because all of you have refreshed his spirit. 
For if I have boasted to him about anything concerning you, I have not been embarrassed by you. But just as everything we said to you is true, so our boasting to Titus about you has proved true as well. And in his affection... And his affection for you is much greater when he remembers the obedience of you all, how you welcomed him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because in everything I'm fully confident in you. The change in how he is writing to them is just so spectacular. And it is because they have taken on board, they've accepted this conviction of sin and they've repented and they've made a a definite effort to move away from the sin in their life. And he says, look, even though I wrote to you and the, the catalyst for writing was somebody doing something. We go back to First Corinthians 5 and what was happening there. He didn't write to them because of the sinner or the one being sinned against. He wrote in general to them saying, look, this, this is just not okay. We can't be living like this. And he says, it's the big picture truth of how you're living. It's to reveal your eagerness on our behalf behalf before God. And there's a really important distinction there. That if moving forward, we're going to have these conversations with people, we really need to to get it. Because there's a huge difference between convicting somebody of sin and condemning them because of the sin in their life. One is uh, very biblically healthy, uh, as expected of us as believers, and one is putting ourselves in the position of God and and condemning people because of the sin in their life. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of this, uh, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, This distinction. Conviction comes from one another in the light of Scripture. Who God is. What Jesus said. How Jesus lived. What he wants for us. What he wants from us. Uh, Condemning because of sin, uh, is, is not from God. Time and time again we read, um, God loves you and he, wants, he desires that none may perish. God's not in the business of, of condemning you before convicting you. And so the, there's a really important distinction between convicting somebody of sin, showing people in, in the light of God's word, hey look, we need to put some things in place, we need to do a little bit better, let's work together, let's do this together, versus... You've done this, and therefore, I'm done with you. We're done together, and it's just done, done, done. And again, to convict one another of sin, as Paul is doing for the Corinthians, is a really biblically healthy thing to do, and I really, really sincerely hope that you've got relationships in your life wherein people feel that they can do that for you, uh, share some truth with you in love, and that you can do that with them. Because if it's not a mutual thing, we just turn into this like religious policeman where we're pointing out people's sin, but nobody feels like they can do it for us. And that's really not a healthy thing. And as we've worked through Second Corinthians, we've talked about this process of iron sharpening iron. We've referenced it a few times in what Paul is trying to do for them. Have you ever seen the process of iron being sharpened? Very good. You can just kind of check out for a couple of minutes then. If you look at the process of iron being sharpened, it's difficult. You can't really check out. (laughs) It's difficult. It's hard. There's tension. There's friction. There are sparks. It's not pleasant. But yet Scripture tells us that we should invite this kind of relationship into our life and this is, a, this is a good thing. 
for the Corinthians, for us, there is intentional and uncomfortable tension that we should share with one another when we enter into relationships where we care enough to say, look, brother, sister, we need to talk about something uh, in the light of God's word. And Paul is, we read, trying to convict to show the Corinthians the error of their ways, to sharpen them, to lead them to the source of grace and repentance. He said, look, turn away from that. Turn back to God because he cares about them. He's not writing to them as a lost cause. He's not excommunicating them with this letter. You've done X, Y, and Z, therefore we are done. He's writing to them for repentance, to show them the error of their ways because he cares about them. And because they have received this kind of sharpening well, this godly conviction of sin that came through a person, look how Paul feels with their reaction. He says, we have been encouraged. And in addition, it just gets even more personal. Paul's encouraged because of how the Corinthians responded. In addition, Paul is encouraged when Titus comes back and talks about the Corinthians. Uh, Paul is encouraged because the Corinthians have refreshed Titus. It's all so personal. The encouragement and the comfort is so personal. And it's always through and about a person. And he kind of signs off at the end. Some people think that maybe Paul's being sarcastic. You can draw your own conclusions. I rejoice because in everything I'm fully confident in you. And again, the change in tone in what he says uh, to them and about them is just spectacular. The, the catalyst is their repentance. They're turning back. And so when Paul is feeling down, what has helped him? Kind of a comprehension kind of check at the moment. When Paul's feeling down, what has helped him here? People. People. Titus is a person. We'll check that as correct. When Paul is feeling down, what helps him? People. And I can tell you with all honesty and sincerity that this is 100% true in, in, in real life as well. It's not something that we read about from 2,000 years ago. Now it's kind of different. Uh, each and every time I've worked through trial, or tribulation, tension, and that kind of stuff, and post-COVID, I don't know if you'd agree, the world has just been mad with tension, with these kind of things. And each time I've experienced these things that Paul is talking about in his letter, you know, the criticisms, the lies, the maligning of you to try and discredit you and what you're doing for God, hand on heart, as the Lord lives. Each and every time, God has graciously provided comfort and encouragement. Do you know how? Through a person. It's not Titus. It's, we, don't, we don't need to pretend. We, like, where's, where's my Titus? It, it doesn't matter. But it's through a person. Just last, last week, last Friday, we're working through this. I told you that we're living through this as well at the moment. Somebody dropped me a little card, like the kind that you put on a Christmas present, like a miniature card. A few short words of encouragement that totally unknown to this person were so divine in their timing and in what they said. And this person has no idea what we're working through at the moment. And they drop this card and it's through a person. Now God could have helped me and encouraged me in a million different ways, but it's always through a person.
It could have been signs and, and wonders. It could have been divine direction. I could have had a dream, a vision. I could have heard the audible voice of God, like at the baptism of Jesus. But it's always through a person. God works for his people through his people. God wants to comfort and encourage. We read, save his people from sin's curse. And it always comes through a person. Now we could pause here and say, okay, it's time to go and be that person. We could get all really excited, kind of G everybody up. I'm like, I'm going to be that person. Yeah. That was a microphone for you to say, yeah. Like, we're going to be those people. I'm going to go out. Yeah, that's it. We could stop there. But are you really ready for that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's like a delaying sound there, like a, con- like a connection, there's like a time difference. Uh, are, you re- are you really seriously ready for the burden of other people's faith, encouragement, anxieties, conviction, repentance, and salvation? Are you really ready to be that person? You, uh, yeah, wow. You guys need to connect. You, you... Oh, she said yeah. Oh. <laughs> Man, now we're doing the Corinthians. Well, she said it anyway. The matter what I said or did. Did you hear her? Yeah, well, we, we want to be those people. But are you ready for that, to take that on? Okay. Well, let me, I'm going to rephrase this because the response is not how I envisioned. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for the, for the burden of other people's faith, constant encouragement, their anxiety to convict them of each and every sin in their life to be responsible for their repentance or their salvation. I can't, I can't even deal with that myself. But it does always come through a person. And it's something that we see from the first to the last pages of Scripture, that God works for his people, through his people, and it is always a person. So walk with me through the grand narrative of Scripture. We're kind of going 30,000 foot view. Here, Genesis 3.15, sin enters into the lives of people. And what is promised in Genesis 3.15? What is promised is a person to put things right, to restore and to redeem and to realign the relationship between God and men. That's a promise given to Adam and Eve as they're leaving. God's people need that promise to pass through a family line because people just don't materialize uh, from nowhere. And there's a person carrying those promises. We get to Genesis 12. Uh, We read about Abraham. God's people then need leading as as this nation of people, this family of people starts to grow. They become a nation and a family under God carrying this promise. And there's a a person there in Exodus 3. Uh, Moses is is appointed and called, lead the people, remind them of this promise. This promise is still there. There's a person coming to put things right, to encourage, to offer comfort. It's always a person spearheading looking after the people, turning them back to God when they need it, interceding for them. God's people need reminders, as do we, of the life that he wants for them, the promises given to them, and the coming deliverer. And then as we move through the rest of the Old Testament, there's the prophets on hand. Isaiah 9, 
A son is going to be given to us. It's going to come through a person. I read about uh, Daniel and the dreams and the visions that he had. All about a person that is going to come. And what else is on there? Micah 5 even says where this person is going to be born. And then it happens. God gives his very nature and his essence, his goodness, his righteousness himself to redeem and rescue people from sin's curse. And how does he do that? It's through the person of Jesus. Everything is pointing about this person that comes. It's through a person, the comfort, the encouragement. And now, New Covenant, New Testament, how we relate to God, where we find the comfort and the encouragement, it's still through a person. We're constantly now going back to that person. We said God wants to encourage and comfort you, and we're constantly drawing it back to the person of Jesus. Romans 15 tells everything that was written in former times, all of that and more, was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. How are we encouraged through scriptures? Because they point forward to Jesus. First Thessalonians 5 tells us God didn't destine us for wrath, but for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're alert or asleep, we will come to life together with him. Therefore, because of Jesus, encourage one another and build each other up. People, people, Jesus, people. Second Thessalonians says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. The comfort, the encouragement is through the person of Jesus. And then ultimately, eternally, it's again through a person. Revelation 21 Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. It is all the comfort, the encouragement. It is found in Jesus, and as we see there, it is dished out by one another. God wants to comfort you and encourage you and save you. And as Paul has modeled here with the Corinthians, it is always through a person, and it's through the person of Jesus. Amen? And so, yes, there is a, a right here and a right now application of this for you and for me. Encouragement comes through people. We want to be those people, and we should be those people. But we should be those people who take people back to Jesus. So, yes, look for people in your life when you need encouragement, look around you and see who needs encouragement and comfort. But bigger picture, don't take that on yourself. Don't take that burden on too much. Be those people who take others to Jesus. Because how we truly and, and, and really encourage one another and comfort one another is to ultimately point them to Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, and Jesus, who is a very present help in times of trouble and need. And he's always through a person. And that person is now Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we, uh, as we pray?